Good morning. How you doing? Yeah? Okay. I'm doing well, thank you. Okay. Well, we're in this series called Culture Shock. Turning those missional, those, uh, excuse me, cultural challenges into missional opportunities. And today we're going to talk about marriage. So if you're single, you're in the right place. If you're married, you're in the right place. All right? You're in the right place. Uh, we are facing in our culture some, um, some huge challenges when it, as regards to, uh, to marriage. And uh, we want to look and see what God's word has to say about that today. Um, speaking of marriage, uh, the 4th of July is our wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, so we're always excited about that. But this year it's our 25th. Uh, wedding anniversary, so we're we're extra excited about that. And so, uh, yeah, so this week we're going to an undisclosed location <laughs> where nobody will find us. We're going to celebrate our 25th. Uh, just before we get into this message, uh, I just want to give an update. And if you've been reading the emails that come to you from Glad Tidings, you already know this. But I want to give a shout out to uh, Pastor Jason Carter, our, who's been our youth pastor for, for the last four years and uh, has done a phenomenal job there. And it seems like everything he touches, he just brings it to another level. Um, he's kind of our our guy on the team who's like, man, if we've got a, a mountain we need to conquer, uh, call on Pastor Jason because he loves conquering mountains. So four years ago, he jumped into a challenge and he said, I'll do it. Let's go. And uh, we've got a new challenge for Pastor Jason and it has to do with leadership. And uh, Glad Tidings is, is moving into a season of, uh, of multiplication. We, we believe God's given us a big vision for his kingdom influence to multiply here in Omaha and around the world. And for that multiplication to happen over multiple campuses and all of this and all of that, that you're going to hear about this fall, we need to multiply leaders. And so uh, Pastor Jason is going to help us with that part, and he is going to uh, to own that piece and help us multiply leaders so we can multiply our influence. So we're excited about that. At the same time, Pastor Drew Milliken, our junior high pastor, is stepping up into the, the role of overseeing all of our youth ministry. And, uh, and so he's going he's gonna to do a great job there. He's going to kill it. As we like to say, that doesn't mean he's going to kill the youth ministry. He's going to kill it. It means he's going to do really well, just in case you didn't know what that word kill meant. All right, are you ready for the word today? Awesome. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't know where that's at, it's at the very beginning of the Bible. Before we actually get into that verse, um, what becomes important to us today is um, how we define marriage. We have to begin with what marriage is and how we define it. David Platt wrote a book called Counterculture. And in the book, he writes this. He says, for millennia, civilizations have defined marriage as an exclusive permanent union of a man and a woman. Two decades ago, politicians in our country voted across party lines to defend this definition of marriage and what was called the Defense of Marriage Act. 
Yet in June of 2013, the Supreme Court of the United States struck down key provisions of that act, paving the way for the complete redefinition of marriage across our culture. In the days that followed, states began officially defining marriage according to different terms. How many of you remember that? Now notably allowing same-sex relationships to be classified as so-called marriages. Such state decisions were then confirmed in June of 2015 when the Supreme Court officially legalized so-called same-sex marriage across the United States, requiring all states to issue and recognize marriage licenses for same-sex couples. The court's decisions in those years of 2013 and 2015 represent only one part of a much larger trend away from traditional marriage across our culture that has taken place over many, many years. For example, nearly half of all first marriages now end in divorce. The number of cohabitating couples in our culture has nearly quadrupled in the last 30 years. Lifelong marriage between a man and a woman is clearly on the decline. And today, fewer than half of all American households are made up of married couples. So we see our culture moving away from marriage, moving away from an exclusive, permanent covenant relationship between a man and a woman. We're moving away from that. And you already know that, right? So all of these realities cause us to wonder. Cause us to wonder and ask questions like this. Some people are asking, is marriage really that important in the first place? And what's the problem with redefining it? Are we really going to say it's wrong for two men or two women to marry each other? Isn't it more wrong, even more hateful even, to deny two men or two women the right to love one another like this? In the words of one Christian leader, this pastor, he said this, who advocates the redefinition of marriage. This pastor said, God is pulling all of us forward into a greater realization that we need more love. We need more people who are committed to each other. And it's not good for us to be alone. So this is a huge moment, he said, when I think lots of us are realizing that the old way of seeing things doesn't work. And that's coming from a pastor. And if I mentioned his name, you would recognize it. So is the discussion of marriage in our culture simply a matter of moving from an old way of seeing things to a new way of seeing things? Is marriage merely a tradition that is open to changing with the times? Or is marriage an institution that was ordained to be consistent through all time? So, there's the problem. There's the question. And the first question that we have to ask in addressing this is, what has the Creator God said about marriage? He created it, and we have to go back to what He had to say about it. To understand marriage, we have to understand image of God, we have to understand gender and we have to understand purpose. And all three of those things, image of God, gender and purpose, God addressed at the very beginning in Genesis chapter one, beginning in verse 27. And the Bible says this. So God created mankind in his own image. Somebody say that in his own image. And in case you missed it, he says it again in the image of God. 
<laughs> he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God is really big about this image thing, this image of God. He creates mankind. He says twice that he created mankind in his image, which is very significant. And we have to pause and think about that. What does that mean to be created in the image or the likeness of God? No one else in creation, no other creatures, uh, nothing else in all of creation has the, the mark of image of God on them. No one else is created light in the likeness of God. So um, we are not alike in we are not like God in all ways, in all attributes, right? We are not all knowing. Some of you think you are, but you're not. <laughs> We're not all powerful. We're not ever present. Can't be at all places at all times, right? We're limited. See, God is divine and we are human. He is spirit. We are flesh. Okay, but we have some things that are like God about us. And some of those things are our ability to make moral decisions. That's unique to human persons. Your dog does not have that capacity. I know our dog doesn't. Right. You have the ability to make moral decisions. What's right, what's wrong. Right. You have the ability to 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 sin or not to sin, to please God, disobey God. You also have intellectual abilities. You have capacities intellectually that no other creation has. I know your cat is smart, but not that smart. Right. So. So and we also have the most important component, and that is this. We as human persons, male and female, created in the image of God, we have the ability to relate to God. Nobody else has that. No other part of creation has that ability to relate to God like we do. So we're created in his image in that way, right? Now, the Bible says that we also are created in his image. And with that image of God comes gender, male and female. He created them. So men and women are created in the image of God. Watch this with equal dignity. Men and women are created in his image with equal dignity before God and before one another. Men are never to be perceived as better than women or women better than men. Both men and women are co-heirs, it says in the Bible, of the grace of God. First Peter 3 verse 7. Co-heirs with the grace of God. Both are created equal in the image of God, but not identical. Equal in dignity, but not identical. Male and female. David Platt says this, according to our culture, sexual differences are merely social constructions. Sure, men and women have physical distinctions, but even these can be altered or disregarded if we prefer. Even if we maintain an understanding of human beings being as distinctly male and female, we view them as equal in our culture. And by equal in our culture, we mean identical. Consequently, it makes complete sense for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman, just like it makes sense for a man to marry a woman. There is no difference since we are identical. 
So our culture says. So this is very important. We are created in the image of God. We are equal, right, in terms of dignity, but we are not identical. There are some vast differences between male and female. Okay, so equal dignity does not eliminate distinction between the genders. The differences in gender should not be minimized. The differences in gender should not be done away with. Because that will stifle the image of God in human persons. Male and female, he created them. And men and women, we bear the image of God on the earth. And when you confuse the genders, you confuse who God is. So, our culture today doesn't celebrate our differences as male and female. Instead, it says this. If you, ladies, if you want to join the Boy Scouts, go ahead. If you want to engage in military combat, combat go ahead. Ladies, if you want to lead your marriage, go ahead. Ladies, if you want to marry another lady, go ahead. And so what, what's happened is, is our culture says, you know what? The genders are, are not different. They're, they're the same. Just it doesn't matter. We're all equal in that way. We're all identical. Right. And so young boys and girls are encouraged to explore what their true gender is. Right. And it's creating so much confusion. And now we're confused about who God is because we're created in his image. The Bible says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we've looked briefly at, at image, how important that is, is God placed male and female on the earth to reflect his image, a picture of who God is, right? And then he also gave them a purpose, and that is what we're looking at now in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God, God blessed them. He blessed the woman. He blessed the man. He blessed them. And he said, watch these words, be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So here we see the purpose of marriage. Purpose answers the question, why? Why marriage? And we see right in here, we see fruitful, increase, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. What's going on here? God is saying this. He's saying, I want marriage to reflect my image in all the earth. I want whoever comes in contact with male, female, whoever comes in contact with a married couple to see God. And I want people all over the earth to see who I am. So get married and be fruitful and fill the earth and rule over the earth. Take dominion over the earth. Bear my image all over the earth. That is why God created marriage. We have to get out of our minds that marriage is for me. Marriage was not created for you, marriage was created for God to be put on display in the earth. Don't make marriage about you and don't make marriage about the other person. Make marriage missional. What's the point of your marriage? Well, God put us together to complete one another. Well, I don't think so. 
I'm not sure you'll find that in the Bible. You might compliment one another, but you're definitely not going to complete one another, right? Well, you know, let's see. If you're single here today, let me ask you this question. Why get married? Why get married, right? Well, some would say because, you know, um, God has a soulmate for everybody. We just need to find who that soulmate is because when you get married and you find your soulmate, that person is going to make you so happy. You're going to be the happiest person alive. I promise you I'll make you happy forever and ever. Right? And they lived happily ever after. Happy, happy me, me, me. See, we make marriage about me. We get married for me. I'm lonely. I'm not complete. Right? I need a soulmate. And we begin with this idea that marriage is, is to satisfy my needs. And it's, it's this inward thing that marriage has become. What's the point of your marriage? Does your marriage point inward or does your marriage point outward? God intended for your marriage to be pointing outward. When your marriage becomes inward and becomes selfish, I guarantee you, your marriage is going to be miserable. Because God didn't create your marriage to make you happy. He didn't create marriage to go, oh, poor Adam and Eve, let's get them together. See, for the same reason, you can be single today, right? And your singleness serves the same purpose as being married. Your singleness is missional. It's not miserable. It's missional. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about marriage and he talks about singleness. And he goes, man, you single folks, you got it made. He says, you can live with undivided devotion. You don't have to focus on meeting the needs of your spouse. You can focus on worshiping God and spreading his glory all over the earth. Awesome. I didn't get any amends on that. Man, that one that felt like a rock. You're on the earth for a purpose, and it's not you. Your marriage exists, and it's not for you. It's not so you can have this wonderful little life together. And you know what? God does that when you make it missional. Give, and it shall be given. What's the point of your marriage? One of the ways you can find out the point of your marriage is listen to yourself pray. If you pray for your marriage, listen to how you pray. God, I just pray you give me a healthy, happy marriage. Help us to communicate better. Help my wife to cook better. You know, we, we pray all these kinds of things. And it's all directed towards, you know, the happiness of our marriage. What if we started praying, God, you put us together to make a name for yourself in this earth. You put us together to be missional. You put us together so I could love my wife in such a way that people are going to see it and they're going to experience the love of God as a result. They're going to go, wow, look at the sacrificial love of that husband. That's what God is like. I want that kind of love in my life. And when they see a wife who says, you know what? Um, I am going to submit and I'm going to honor and I'm going to respect and the dream that God has is when they see a wife willingly submit in that way, people are going to go, wow. How many of you know that's countercultural? That's countercultural. That's supernatural. That must be God. That's what it looks like to submit to God. It's about missional. We are God image bearers on the earth. 
Theologian Alexander Shemaman put this quote quite pointedly. He says it like this. A marriage which does not constantly crucify its own selfishness and self-sufficiency, which does not die to itself that it may point beyond itself, is not a Christian marriage. Let me ask you, couples, ask yourself this question. How is your marriage any different than a non-Christian marriage? How is it any different? Are you going after the same things that your unsaved neighbors are going after? Right? Are you chasing pleasure and, 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 and happiness? And are you trying to find that fulfillment? Uh, how is your marriage any different than a non-Christian? Is it missional? So how does this missional marriage work? There is a uh, there's a divine order that God puts in Scripture, and uh, we don't we don't often preach about this and talk about this. Sometimes you'll hear about it in a wedding ceremony, but oftentimes you won't. But there is a divine order that God puts in marriage, and the Bible says that uh, in Genesis chapter one that God created the man first, and then He created the woman. But before He created the woman, He said something very important to the husband. He said to the husband, listen, I am going to let you eat of all of these trees in the garden. You can have any one of them except one. There's one tree. It's called the knowledge of good and evil. And I don't want you to eat from that tree. He charged the man with the command to obey. The woman wasn't even in the scene yet. Eve had not yet been created. Adam, don't eat from this tree. Okay, okay, got it. Right. He knew about it. He didn't know about it. Okay, and guess what? Satan knew this. And so when Satan comes into the the garden in the form of a serpent, a snake, who does he tempt? Who does he go to? He goes to Eve. He goes around spiritual authority. How many of you know he hates authority? Satan hates authority. He's always trying to go around and circumvent authority. He goes around authority. He goes around because he doesn't go to Adam because he knows Adam knows something. And he knows Adam's response. So he goes around Adam and he goes to Eve and he tempts Eve. And the Bible says that while he is tempting Eve, that that Adam is actually standing right there next to her. And he's just he's just there, but he's not doing anything about it. He should have at that point said, you know what? I'm going to protect my wife. I'm going to protect myself. God has given me dominion over every creeping thing along the face of the earth. He could have, he could have rebuked Satan, that serpent, and said, get out of here. Instead, he stood by and he just allowed it to happen. Right? That was his posture. And the Bible says that Eve saw that the fruit was good and she took it and she ate some. She gave it to her husband and then he ate it as well. And the minute that happened, they both realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. They were filled with shame. And that's what sin does. When you sin against God, um, your life becomes a shameful life. Your, your heart is filled with shame and guilt. And they ran away. And the Bible says that they, they tried to hide because of their nakedness, their sinfulness. And they tried to cover themselves up. And they made these, they took fig leaves and they sewed them together to make clothing for themselves. And then the Bible says that God came into the garden one day and he was going to find out what had happened. And so he goes into the garden and guess where he goes? And guess who he goes to first? Does he go to Eve? 
and say, Eve, what happened? Or does he go to Adam? He goes to Adam, doesn't he? The Bible says that he came into the garden and he called to the man and he said, where are you? Where are you? He didn't go to Eve and say, hey, what'd you do here? You blew it. He went to the man because the man is responsible. The man was the spiritual uh, head of the home over his wife. God goes to Adam, although it was Eve that was tempted in first eight. But God holds the man accountable. Listen, guys. God has put you the head of your home. And what happens in your home and what happens in your marriage is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. God calls to Adam, Adam, where are you? And he said, I was naked, so I hid. And God says, how'd you know you were naked? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And then he said this, the woman. The woman that you gave me. It's your fault, God, and it's her fault. The woman that you gave me, she, she gave it to me. I don't know what happened. I just, she gave it to me and it fell into my mouth and... You know, this spineless, this spineless, wimpy guy, right? God had established him as leader and he he then begins to pass the blame, right? Instead of taking responsibility and saying, God, you know what? I'll own that one. Okay, on the spiritual head here. You told me, God, not to eat. I did not protect my wife. I was not there. I, I was there, but I was not there. God, forgive me. Instead, he passes the buck. He passes the buck. And unfortunately, too many men have been doing that ever since. Men, let's be men. Let's protect our homes. Let's protect our wives. Let's protect our families. Let's be the spiritual gatekeepers. Let's be eyes and ears. Let's be sensing when the the enemy comes in and disguises himself. Okay, remember Noah. I like Noah. Here's an example of of taking spiritual lead. God says, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to destroy the earth. And Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I want you to build an ark to what? Save your family. Build an ark to save your family. I grew up in a perfect home growing up. Right. Nobody has one. Uh, Mine certainly wasn't perfect either. But my dad, he built an ark to save his family. With the best tools he knew of and, and the best way he knew how he did his best to build an ark to save his family. And every time that that the church was open and there was a service going on, we were at church growing up. We were there. And he made big sacrifices to build an ark for his family. He paid for uh, all four of us kids to go to a private Christian school growing up. Now, the church didn't save me. The school didn't save me. But what those two things did is they put me in an environment where I could experience Jesus. And, and, And he built an ark to save his family and it cost him. He had to say no to a lot of things to be able to build this ark. So today I am a father now of three amazing kids, Levi, Samuel and Ann. They're incredible. And when we came here 21 years ago, we didn't have any kids. We've and all they know is Glad Tidings Church. 
They're amazing kids. And people will come to me all the time and they'll say, man, how did you do that? I say, well, you know, just not everybody has the gift, you know. And, uh, and, I, and I say, well, you know, I, I built an ark. What? What do you mean you built an ark? I say, here's the deal. I said, uh, I brought him into the ark to save my family. I brought him to, to Up Kids. I brought him to Royal Rangers, Impact Girls Club, m Youth Ministries, Unplugged Youth Retreats, Small Groups, Worship Team. I brought him into the ark as often as I could. You see, the point is this, is I, I cannot be a great father alone. And I can't be a great husband alone. I have to do it in the context of community. You raised my kids. Well done. Thank you. You know, Nicholas was talking about it a few minutes ago about in a small group and, and how that's the context in which you can, you can, you can get your marriage missional, Right? It's in that place where you can like say, have these conversations about raising kids and loving your wife and submitting to your husband. We don't like that word, but it's in the Bible. We'll get there in a second. So, so the call to husbands is this, build an ark to save your family. Take the spiritual lead. So how does this missional marriage work? Divine order. God begins with divine order. He starts it in Genesis. And then what happens after Genesis is everything goes crazy. Marriages go crazy right after the fall. What happens is, is there's there's polygamy. There's incest. There's homosexuality. There's adultery. There's there's abuse and control going on. And relationships and, and marriage are just are blown apart. They're they're. Wild and crazy. Men are taking on hundreds of wives. You know, and I'm trying to please one. I can't imagine trying to please that many. But see, that's stupid right there. That's really stupid. So anyway, things get crazy. And then what happens? Jesus comes on the scene, right? And he establishes this new covenant in his blood. And we celebrated in communion earlier. And so Jesus comes and, and he establishes this new covenant and, and, and again talks about marriage. And he points all the way back to Genesis of what marriage is to look like, right? He doesn't point to, to uh, uh, King Solomon. He doesn't point to David. He points all the way back to Genesis. And so does Paul. And so do all the other apostles. And everything that happened between Genesis and the new covenant is screwed up. All right. So don't look at those guys and go, well, you know, Solomon had a lot of wives. Let's, you know, let's do this thing. No, we got to look at pre-fall, and then post-cross, okay? So Jesus establishes what it looks like, and Paul spells it out very well for us. And the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Some of you didn't know that verse was in the Bible. <laughs> and some of you wish it wasn't in the Bible, <laughs> right? The husband is the head of the wife. What is that all about? And wives should submit to their husbands? Come on, seriously? All right, 
This is a 21st century here, right? See, this is so countercultural today. You're not going to read this CNN headlines. We discovered something. The husbands are to be the head of the wife. And the wife should submit to their husband. How many of you believe that will go viral, right? So we don't see that anymore. It's not politically correct. You know, I've had brides come to me and say, you know, pastor, we really like you to do our wedding ceremony, but we don't want you to quote this verse in our ceremony. It's like, let's just take that piece out of the Bible. Let's just. Carrie had a small group for ladies, for women. And uh, some of her small group was made up of American ladies and some of them were international. And what's interesting is, is uh, they would talk about, you know, stuff like this, like marriage and, you know, motherhood and all that stuff. And that's just what you do in small groups. You just work it out. And they were talking about submitting to husbands. And and she discovered in this group that uh, the international women had a much um, they embraced this idea of, of submission much more than the American women culture. She also discovered that the the international women who who embraced this idea of submitting to their husbands also more quickly embraced submitting to God. So not that that's easy, but they they had this this um, biblical worldview of of divine order that God has established in the marriage covenant. Very interesting. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse three says the head of every man is Christ. Guys. Christ is your boss. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. This is powerful. This tells us that this kind of submission that we're talking about is, is, is not unique to just human relationships. We see it in God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Here we have an example of even in the Godhead Trinity, we have this divine order going on. And even the son is submitting to the father, right? What's interesting about this to me is this. Most of what Jesus asked for, he got. Ladies, you need to hear this. Most of what Jesus asked for from the father, right, who was over him in authority, God gave it to him. When he laid hands on the sick, they recovered. When he cast out devils, they came out. When he wanted to multiply the fish and loaves, they were multiplied. When he wanted to walk on water, he walked on water. Right. So many things that Jesus asked for, he got in this one instance. God says, you know what? I want you to follow me in this. I want you to yield. Ladies, you need to hear this. Okay. Jesus went to the father, his spiritual authority, and he expressed what he wanted. He knew that the father still wanted this, but he said it again. And then he said, yet not my will, but your will be done. He yielded. And ladies, you need to hear this. You don't need to be this quiet little mouse in the corner who never says anything. Okay, if you know my wife, she's not the quiet little mouse in the corner, right? She is beautiful and she's brilliant and she's got amazing ideas and wisdom from God. She's she's Proverbs 31 through and through. 
And she's going to have some amazing things to contribute and say. And you know what? She's, she'll come and say, I think we should do this. I think it's time to sell the house. She said that twice. How many of you know that's a big decision? Right? Well, the guys should do that. No, she initiated. She goes, it's time to sell our house. And I just struggled with that. I thought, well, I don't know. I love this house. I don't want to move. You know, and then I thought about it. And I prayed about it. And I thought, you know, she's right. She's right. She's got so much wisdom. And so listen, ladies, express. This is what I this is what I want. This is what I think we should do. Husbands, listen to that. Listen, God's probably talking through your wife. Right. He can use a donkey, but I'd rather he use my wife. You know, some of you, it takes a you know what to get through to you. But God gave your wife. In that way, she's this helper, the Bible says. And some of you need a lot of help. Say amen. Amen. I know I do. Okay. I'm looking forward to another 25 years of help. Thank you. You know, we should give a hand to Carrie just for having to sit here and listen to her husband talk about submission. I mean, mean, that takes courage just to sit there. I I don't know what he's going to say. You know? So one time, um, years ago when we were homeschooling, I should say Carrie was homeschooling because I wasn't. She, exactly. She, and she was amazing at it. She was just killing it, you know, not the kid. She was just doing really well with it. And the kids were growing, learn how to read all this stuff. And she was doing really well. She's very competent in that. And, uh, and about four years into it, I began to see just kind of how much it was just wearing on her to do this every day, every day, every day, every day. And at the same time, the church was going through transition and we were becoming the interim pastors. And I said to Carrie, I said, you know what? I don't think we should homeschool anymore. I think we need to stop. No longer do this. Homeschooling's awesome. Uh, Takes a lot of courage. Takes a lot of dedication. She was giving it. She was doing it. But she was wearing out. And I could tell God was getting her ready for something else and what she's focusing on today. And I said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're done homeschooling. She didn't agree with me. She goes, man, I just feel, I feel like, you know, this is the best for our kids. And I feel guilty if I don't and da, da, da. And I said, you know, I feel really, really strong about this. And she goes, you know what? I'm going to trust you on this one. Uh, You're the head. Let's do this thing. And we did. And uh, no regrets. No regrets. It was the right decision. Do you see how that works? Okay. So there's just an example so what does it look like for the husband to, to be the head? Uh, it looks like loving leadership. Let's take a look at this here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wow. Listen, guys. How you relate, how you love your wife is a reflection of how God loves his church. When you love your wife well, people will see how much God loves his church. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ laid down his life and he died for us. While your wife is not perfect, lay down your life and die for her. Right? Don't make marriage about the other person. Don't make it, well, if she would just, you know, or if he would just that, then I would respect him. 
The way a wife relates to her husband should reflect the way the church honors and respects God. Why? Because marriage is meant to be missional. Fathers, how you treat your children's mother is the first image that they have of God. How you treat your children's mother, your wife, is the first image that your kids have of God. If you're harsh with your children's mother, they're going to see God as a harsh God. If you're abusive, God's an abusive God. If you're emotionally distant, God's an emotionally distant God. If you're leaving and walking out, you're, you're portraying a God who's leaving, walking out. If you're stingy, come on, ladies. If you're stingy and you're cheap towards the mother of your children and you're controlling everything, every penny, every dot, every little decision, you, you're communicating to your children that God's a stingy and he's a cheap God. I don't know about you, but our God's much bigger now. And I want to be a generous husband. I want, I want our kids to see God as a generous God. Husbands, tell your wife, I'm never going to leave you. Tell your wife, I will never have an affair. Don't leave the back door open. There's no back door. Tell her that because she's wondering if you're going to. She needs to hear it from you. By God's grace, God's going to help me and I am going to be faithful to you till death do us part. Tell your children, I'm committed to your mother. I'm going to be faithful to her. Tell your children, she's the most important person in my life. Tell your children, don't talk to your mother like that. Protect her. Are we having fun yet? Ephesians 5, 28. Not only does, 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 uh, does God say, love, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself up, but also love her as you love your own body. It says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Wow. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. What is this saying? Let's go back to Genesis for just a moment. Where did Eve come from? She came from the man's body, right? So Eve was taken out of man. Eve was taken out. The rib was taken out. God created woman out of man. So when a man, when Adam looked at his, at his wife, when Adam looked at Eve, maybe he said this or thought this. She was, she came from my body, right? And maybe when Eve looked at Adam, she thought, he gave his body for me. He gave his body for me. Husbands, wouldn't it be amazing if your wife looks at you and, and, and thinks to herself, wow, he gave his body for me. Or is she thinking, why am I always giving up my body for him? Right? What's the order? The husband gave up his body for the wife. The first words that came out of Adam's mouth. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. 
Listen, for for Eve to be created, something had to be taken out of Adam. Man, listen to me. For your wife to be created, powerful woman of God, pure, faultless, cleanless, cleanly, all those things, something has to be taken out of you. Something, it has to cost you something. It will cost you something. You remember the phrase, you know, uh, you get what you pay for? (laughs) My wife likes to say it like this. If you have to remind husbands, if you have to remind your wife that she has to submit, you're probably not loving your wife. So our job as husbands, and by the way, I'm just picking on the husbands today. Is that okay, ladies? Thank you, babe. This is your anniversary gift, by the way. (laughs) I'm going to listen to my own sermon every day this week. (laughs) So husbands, we need to reprogram our brains in thinking my body is for her. My body is for her, right? A lot of times we get that backwards in our culture. We think the wife's body is for the husband. And I get that. I understand that. But first, my body is for her. My body is for her. Not only is my body for her, but she is now part of my body. They are no longer two, male and female. When they come into marriage, they are now one. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let man not separate. A lot of times, well, that's my wife's thing and this is my thing. No, you don't have my thing and her thing anymore. When you're married, it's our thing. So when your wife suffers, men, you're suffering. When she is thriving, you're thriving. When the Bible says, when you love her, you love your own body. That's powerful. That's incredible. All right, we need to kind of land this plane. Let me ask you this question. Don't get mad at me. Um, Husbands, how much is your wife worth to you? How much is she worth to you? What does your marriage cost you? If you don't feel cost, if you don't feel cost, if you don't feel like it's taken something out of you, then you don't value your marriage. You should be feeling the pain, man. That's your job. You should be feeling sacrifice. And ladies, you should be feeling blessed. David Platt said this. He said, through a job, a man may rightly and responsibly provide for the physical needs of his wife. But if he is not careful, that same job often prevents him from providing for her spiritual, emotional and relational needs. Okay, get ready to say, ouch. He comes home and can't put his phone down or his email aside. He turns on the TV, he surfs the internet, or he tinkers in the garage. Whatever it is, he manages to maintain his physical presence in the house while creating an emotional distance from his wife. Hey, honey, I'm bringing home the bacon. Here's my check. I'm doing my job. It's more than that, guys. It's more than that. He writes, he never asks how she feels, doesn't know what's going on inside of her heart. He may think he's a man because of his achievements at work and his accomplishments in life. But in reality, he's acting like a wimp who has abdicated his most important responsibilities on the earth, the spiritual leadership of his wife. 
It's more than physical provision. It's more than food, shelter, and clothing. It's being the husband of her heart. It's asking, how is your heart? What's going on? How are you? Here's some good questions to ask. Husbands, ask your wife this question. How can I love and lead you better? How many of you know that's a dangerous question? (laughs) How can I love and lead you better? Ask your wife that. She'll probably have a few good ideas. And then just listen. Just listen. Don't defend. Don't go, well, you know, I, but I do this, this, and this. No, just listen. Well, you can't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. We got to change the way you shouldn't feel. That's the wrong way to feel about. No, that's how she feels. Don't try to fix her feeling. Just feel it with her. And then say, you know what? Thank you so much for telling me how you feel. Pray for me. Pray for me. Because I want to be the husband who leads and loves his wife. I want to be the kind of husband where people look at our marriage and go, wow, the love of God is demonstrated in that marriage. What a missional marriage. In the same way, uh, um, wives, you can ask your husbands, how can I honor and respect, submit to you better? How can I do that? And then let him share in the same way. How is your marriage different than a non-Christian marriage? It's missional. It's not about you. It's not about your happiness, soulmate, fulfilling one another. No, that's selfish, self-absorbed marriage. And it will die. God's intent for marriage does not is to, to, to not point inward, but to point outward and reflect the image of God in the earth to your children, to the people who know you best. Don't make marriage about the other person. If the other person is lovable, we'll love them. That's what we say. If they're respectable, we'll respect them. But Ephesians 5 blows that excuse out of the water and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'm going to wrap it up with Chick-fil-A. How many of you like Chick-fil-A? Yeah? How many of you wish it was open on Sundays? I sure do. So Chick-fil-A is known for what? Chicken and customer service, right? It's not just chicken, it's customer service. You ask, can I get a refill on that? Or can I get this added to my order? What do they say? My pleasure. My pleasure. What if we took a Chick-fil-A kind of customer service mentality to our marriages and when we're asked of our spouse for something, my pleasure. I think Chick-fil-A treats its customers better than we treat our spouses sometimes. We argue, it's going to cost me, right? My pleasure. My pleasure. Why? So we can have a happy marriage? No. So we can bear the image, the love of God, and the worship that's due his name in the earth. Lord, we thank you today for your powerful word. God, I pray that we would be countercultural in our marriages. That we'd not be self-absorbed, but God, that we'd be outward focused. God, I pray for all the husbands in the room today. 
we ask this, God. I ask that you would touch the heart of every man in here in such a deep, powerful way with your love. Freely we have received your love. Freely we can give it. We can't love our wives, God, unless you give us the love to love them with. So I pray that every man, every husband here would experience your love in a deep, profound way. And God, I pray for all the wives in in here today, Lord. That God, as they process this idea of submission and respect, God, that, that God, they would deeply know in their hearts that it's not about their husband, it's about you. And it's as unto the Lord. God, help us not to push away from divine order and from gender. But God, help us to approach them and celebrate those things, God. God, I pray for every single person here today, male, female, created in your image. God, I pray that in their singleness, you would accomplish your mission in the earth, that they would live with undivided devotion to you. And God, if you have placed within them the desire for marriage, God, I pray that you would give them the wisdom to make the right choice. We ask for an arranged marriage for those who desire to be married, that you, God, would arrange, that you'd bring male and female together, Lord. In the name of Jesus. One last thing that I want to share before we wrap it up, and I apologize for going over and long, kind of. So here's what I want to, I want to share. Adam and Eve in the garden, when they had sinned, They knew they were naked. They knew they had broken God's law. They were filled with shame. They were filled with guilt. And the natural response is to run away from God and try to hide. The natural response is to try to cover your shame and your guilt in some way. So we fabricate these these coverings for ourselves to cover our shame. But how many of you know you can't cover up with God and you can't run from God? And some of you might be here today and you've been trying to cover your shame and cover your guilt and run from God and hope he doesn't see it. But can I tell you, God sees it and it breaks his heart that you're running from him and he wants you to run to him today. He wants you to run to him today and God will do something that you can't do. God will take your guilt and your shame and he'll remove it from you. As far as the east is from the west, God removes our sin from us we have to come to him and say, you know, God, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. And I need, I need you to wash away my sin. I need you to save me. I need you to make me a new person in Jesus. Some of you are here today, maybe the first time you're here and you're saying, you know what? I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to deny myself. I want to take up my cross and follow him because he's worth following. If that's you today. I want you to do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. I want you to just raise your hand nice and high if that's you. You need Jesus today to forgive you, to save you. Several hands. Anybody else in the balcony? Put your hands down if you would. Simple prayer. Simple prayer. God, I'm guilty of my sin. God, would you forgive me today? Would you wash away all of my sin? Would you make me a whole person?
Would you make me right with you? I want to follow you all the days of my life. God, I belong to you now. I'm your follower. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. My life belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want everybody to stand to your feet if you would. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come forward. And I'm going to invite you, if you raised your hand and you prayed today, and you got right with God, I'm going to invite you to come and spend some time with one of our prayer workers after the service is dismissed. They have a gift for you. They want to encourage you. We want to celebrate the new life that you have in God. If you need prayer for your marriage, you say, Pastor, I want my marriage to be more missional. You want special prayer? We're here to pray for you. Singles, we're here to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together for God's word today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful 4th of July holiday. If you're a guest with us, we look forward to meeting you at the Welcome Center following the service.